You'll take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs 8. If you have been paying attention, we have jumped a chapter and a half. That's not because we didn't deal with the subject. We don't trust that God's going to teach us. It's because we dealt with it in chapter 5. And so if you want to hear about what does it mean to deal with uh, relationships that are wrong, um, you can go back and listen to the uh, sermon. It's online. Um, and it will give you the, the influence and the impact. And so we're not necessarily adding anything new in chapter 7. So we have moved on to chapter 8. And so we're going to look at this wisdom, as uh, Mickey has already uh, told us and read for us. Uh, this points to Christ. And so, again, it's the understanding that wisdom is a key to life. Now, I don't know about you, but probably I would say that most everybody in here, if not everybody in here, um, understands what an infomercial is. Okay? So we're going to do a little bit of an infomercial because a lot of people, and I want you to understand that, that Americans, just Americans, spend $30 billion a year on supplements, vitamins, and herbs to help increase their life. Okay? So we're going to start. So I have for you right here today, ladies and gentlemen, an opportunity to take this pill, this great pill, and this is found... Oh, i got to put my glasses on. Obviously, I'm not taking them. This is found from the Siberian Rainforest Fruit Bat Guana. Now, it's stored in Chernobyl, and there's no understanding how great of a miraculous pill this is, because we don't know what's in it, and the FDA definitely doesn't know what's in it, but it can be yours. And add that to you, we have this. We have extracts from the African cucumber, and we also have the rabbiton from Sri Lanka and the jackfruit extract and this exotic pills. Here we go. And not only that, there's still more. There's still more. And this is just simply aspirin. But you'll spend $20 more because I'm doing it right now in this infomercial than going to the store and buying regular aspirin. But this set here is life-changing. Now, we have a testimonial. Young lady, you said you've been taking this. Will you please stand? Just stand. And what's your name? Avery. Avery's been taking this combination of these supplements. And Avery, how old are you? She's 112 years old, ladies and gentlemen. She's 112 years old and she looks wonderful. Not only does she look wonderful, she's really tall. So this testimonial speaks to those that can help you and it can give you life. Thank you, young lady, for that testimony. Let's give her a round of applause. So all of this... All three bottles can be yours for 20 easy payments. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Did I say 20? I said, I meant 18, 18 easy payments. Wait a minute. I've just been told 15 easy payments of 1999. 15 easy payments of 1999s and you can have your best life now. Right? See, we're all trying to be sold a bill of goods. 
And the reality is, is that Christ tells us that our best life now is found within the book. And you don't have to pay anything for it. So let us go to Lord in prayer and then we're going to unpack this passage and see how wisdom truly is the key to life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. And Lord, it's to you that we run because to you alone is life and life everlasting. So Father, let us not get caught up in the ways of the world. Lord, they seem wise. They seem good. But Father, let us today more than any other time, may we run to you because you are life, both now and forevermore. We pray all this in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Christ. Amen. Now you'll see in your Bibles that should have been split pretty easily for you that there are four separate sections. And so we're going to be taking them in those four sections. And so the first one we're going to be looking at is wisdom's urgent invitation. And this is verses 1 through 11. And in the midst of that, we'll see that wisdom cries out urgently. It cries out in all places and it is given then a a motivation for us to listen. Why should we listen to wisdom? And so the first thing we see is that wisdom cries out. And so the urgency of wisdom is it says that wisdom is crying out in a loud voice. She raises her voice. Now, again, why is she getting loud here? Why is this personification of wisdom getting loud? Because there's competition for our attention. Okay, and the world is always clamoring for our ear. It's always trying to get our attention to pay attention to whatever thing might happen, whether it's an infomercial, whether it's um, things that are good for us. It's always trying to tell us this is how we should live life. And the reality is, is that the urgency of the wisdom comes in because she wants to us to gain understanding. Now, again, it might not be what we want to hear, but it's what we need to hear. And so what happens is that wisdom cries out in a loud voice. And not only does she cry out in a loud voice, it says she cries out in all places. It says the heights, it's at the crossroads, it's at the gates, it's at the entrance of the portals. She's going anywhere that she can find a place to tell you to listen to her. We see that nowadays in advertisement, don't we? I mean, all you have to do is talk about something and then that advertisement comes on your computer, it comes on your phone. So if you talk about airboat engines, all of a sudden, miraculously, there's airport engines um, being sold on your phone. How does he know that? Because your phone's listening to you. And it knows what you want. And so you talk about airboat engines and you get it. You talk about socks. You talk about toilet paper. All of a sudden, all these toilet paper ads start coming onto your phone. Well, think about that. That wisdom will do anything and go anywhere to get your attention so that you might gain understanding and know how to live life. And so she's crying out in a loud voice. She's going everywhere. But she wants to give what? Wisdom for all. Now, again, you see in this part of the passage, it talks about the naive. It talks about the fools. And so you talk about the naive. And these are people who are easily led or sometimes easily misled people. So they just, they don't know any better. They're just naive. They're clueless. But it also talks about the fools. And it says the fools are the ones who need to go to gain understanding. Now again, this is why there are warning labels on everything. 
Okay, and so there are warning labels and you can go and there's some pretty funny ones. And some of the ones that I really liked um, is it says, caution, hot water is hot. Now you think that's self-explanatory, but it's obviously it's not. Somebody went to something with says hot water and thought that it wasn't going to be hot. One of the other ones that I really like, do not iron clothes when on your body. Uh, who th- there had to have been somebody go, well, you know what? I've already got the shirt on. Honey, hand me that scalding iron. Let me just run up and down my chest for a second and I'll get these wrinkles out. So they had to post a warning. Don't do this. There's a warning on my lawnmower. Do not trim r- bushes with your mower. Who thought I'm going to lift this heavy mower and because I don't want to go get my clippers, I'm going to turn this mower up on my bushes and clip my bushes while the mower's going. Somebody did. Somebody's without fingers. And he needed to gain understanding because he was a fool. Now you might hear those words and go, well, I'm sure I'm glad fill in the blank is here today and gets to hear this. They need to hear what wisdom has to say because they're naive, they're a fool. But listen, wisdom cries out to all people. Everyone. It says in the scripture, to you, verse 4, to you, O men I call. So he's including everyone. Because listen, in regards to wisdom, we never, ever arrive. You never stop learning. You never stop gaining wisdom because it is a progressive sanctification. You're not there yet. And so he's crying out. She's crying out to us. However, which way you want to go with it, whether it's wisdom or you think of Christ, both are crying out to us here. But then they give motivation for us to listen. Why? Because listen, we live in a day that's about diversity, not absolute truth. And what that means is because they don't believe in truth about specific things, what they have to do is they have to diversify, which means you need to pull from everything. So if we can't say any one religion is right or any one religion has the absolute truth, so we just take and choose from what we, we glean from each one. So we can take a little bit from Islam, we can take a little bit from Buddha, we can take a little bit from Christianity, we can take a little bit from uh, Judaism. And again, that's how we get our stickers coexist so we just start pulling and grabbing and we start to diversify and so not any one race not any one culture not anything nothing's true so just glean from whatever the scripture is very plain about saying that there is an absolute truth there is an absolute truth claim and nothing listen nothing compares to wisdom it's greater than anything that's what the word says hey it's greater than gold it's greater than silver nothing compares to wisdom and so what we have to understand is that when we try to glean glean that it comes from the word of god this is the truth that you hold in your hand this is life that you hold in your hand And so God is calling out to us and he says, if you have ears to hear, hear. Because I'm crying out and I'm crying to you so that you might gain understanding. And you might gain and understand how rich and how faithful this is to give you your good life now and forevermore. So he's coming urgently to give us an invitation. But then he switches gears or she switches gears to verses 12. 
And this is where we see wisdom's promised prophet. Okay, wisdom's private prophet, um, verses 12 through 21. And the first thing we have is the planning that goes into, so what do I mean by that? Critical thinking. And we've heard this before in Proverbs. We need to think through the consequences of our actions beforehand, not in the moment and not after the fact. We have to think critically. We have to plan. And we all do that. And we do that in normal life, most of us. And so it's the understanding that as we plan, we want to hear wisdom. Words spoken to us, listen, it says to those who have open ears to hear. So as, this, as wisdom is crying out, he, he's saying, she's saying, hey, I want you to listen. And the people who listen are the wise. And they yearn to hear the wisdom. And so when the wisdom comes, it's great because it's part of ruling. Now remember, this is Solomon writing to his children how to rule a kingdom. And so he's saying, I want you to listen because you are the kings and princes. And so he's telling them, in essence, this is how you rule wisely. This is how, for us, how you can rule Christ-like. And if we're ruling Christ-like, then that allows us to do the things that we're supposed to do. And what he does in this section is he gives this um, understanding in verses 15 through 17. It tells you how to rule wisely and how to not rule. So he gives you negative and positive aspects. He says, hate things like pride, arrogance, harmful tongues. As a leader, you should hate those things. You shouldn't jump in on on off-color jokes. You shouldn't sit there and just allow the things around you to go unnoticed. You should be different. You should hate the things that are wrong. But it also tells you as a leader to do things that are positive. It tells you to be shrewd. It tells you to gain wisdom in regards to information and knowledge. It tells you to use discretion as you live life. And so as rulers in whatever position that might be, again, it might not be for a country, but maybe for one of you it is. Maybe it's you're on a city council. Maybe you're on the school board. Maybe you're one of the vice presidents of a company. Maybe. So how do you rule The way that you're supposed to. And wisdom says, come to the book. Hate the things that need to be hated. And love and gain wisdom in the things that you should do. And if we do that, then we get a profit. But there's also something that is, in some ways, hard. Because what it says in verses 18 through 21, it says, Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. silver excuse me. I walk in the way of righteousness and the path of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Now again, this is a place where the health and wealth gospel run to. And they say, see... If you give to God, then God's going to give to you. Now, when you read this passage, that seems to say that. It says we're going to receive riches and honor. Now, we need to unpack this very carefully. Will we receive material wealth? 
Yes. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. Didn't you just say the health and wealth gospel bad? And now you're telling me that if we obey God and we do things according to his words, that we're going to be rich. Yes. How so? Because there's, again, a negative and a positive. If we adhere to the things of the word, negatively, it means maybe we don't collect debt. Maybe we cut up those credit cards. Maybe we invest a little wiser. Maybe we don't steal to get put into prison. Maybe you don't do illegal things at work. So you can gain wealth by not doing some things, according to the scripture. There's also a positive aspect. If you are living according to the word, then probably you're a hard worker. So you might get noticed. So you might get an advancement. You might get a pay pay raise. It might be that you learn to save. Maybe you become uh, wise in your investments. Maybe you don't invest with your brother and his scheme. Maybe you went with Steve Jobs. Pretty good investment. But how do you know? He says, learn understanding. Gain the understanding. Now, again, we can get all of that wealth. Okay? And I'm someone who, who likes to watch shows like uh, The Treehouse Master, uh, Insane Pools, uh, the uh, aquarium show out of Las Vegas. Hmm? Tanked. Good job. Thank you. Thank you for that. Little bully. Everyone's a critic. You'll get it at home. Now, so you've got this time where, again, everybody begins to um, spend this wealth. And there's, to me, it seems really nice. But one of the ones, one of the ones I watched on this insane pool, someone spent $5 million on a pool. $5 million. Now, one of my questions was, what the heck is this guy doing? That he's making the kind of money that he has $5 million to pay for a pool in his backyard that's worth that much. The second thing is, is how many people could he have saved with $5 million? See, that's the difference in regards to wisdom. Wisdom gives us the purpose of wealth. The purpose of wealth is not for us. It's for the purpose of the gospel. Now, please don't hear me say that you can't have nice things. Don't hear me say that you can't spend money on yourself. If you like going on cruises, go on cruises. You like having a new car, have a new car. If you like having things and you can afford it and not go into debt for it and all that, do it. However, if you are a Christian, you should be asking, how does God want me to spend this? And again, that's not always easy. I mean... We just had a, a friend um, pass away up in, in Chattanooga, and uh, he owned a pool place in Chattanooga, made some wise investments, came from money to begin with, um, and it would have been very easy for him to just spend all the money on himself, but he ended up buying uh, two and then ultimately three homes in a community for people to go on vacations who couldn't afford it. So two houses that he bought and paid for, and all he charged was a $200 cleanup fee so that the people with small young families can go and have a beach vacation 
and don't have to worry about the expenses. Two. So he was asking God, what, how do you want me to spend the money for your kingdom? So we need to understand it's not just wealth, but it's, it's the purpose of wealth and how we use it. And I think you'll be surprised that God will answer those questions. God, how do you want me to spend this money? How do you want me to use this gift card? How do you want me to do this? Sometimes it might be on you. Sometimes it might be for someone else. But ask, and he'll answer. So wisdom comes, he cries out, gives us an urgent cry, he promises profit. Then we get to a section where there's a divine declaration, and this is verses 22 through 31. Now again, this is a passage that some people come down very specific on of saying uh, this is about lady wisdom, or it's, it's definitely about Jesus. Okay? Now, why do they do that? Because if you read in this scripture, okay, the New American Standard, it says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. But some of you have a translation that says, the Lord created me. Okay? Now we know Jesus was not created. He was from everlasting to everlasting with the Father. The three in one, the Trinity. So he cannot be created. So which is it? You ready for the answer? I don't know. It's not clear. Now, it points to Jesus. I know that. But is this a Christological passage that I can definitively say, this is Jesus who is speaking here in the midst of this Proverbs? I can't. And you can go out and you read, and there's good arguments on both sides. However, we can say, whether it's wisdom or if it's Jesus who is speaking, it is pointing us to the salvation and the rejoicing that comes in the midst of the passage. So we understand that whether it's Jesus or wisdom, creation begins to say before the foundation of the world. So if it's wisdom, then in regards to creation, wisdom, it says, was before everything. So now why is that important? Well, it means if wisdom was a part of everything and being created, there is a rhythm and rhyme. It was wired into everything. It's not haphazard, which means there is a code to reality. So why is this important? Because sometimes I struggle with people who have no problem killing an infant child, but would go out there and try to save a baby seal. To me, that doesn't make sense. I can understand saying save them both or kill them both. But I don't understand how they take and they start to say, well, for me, this one's higher than another one. So again, there is a a reality of wisdom tells us in the very code of how everything was created. This is how things work. This is how they are supposed to be. Now, if we go to Jesus, and again, I do believe this points to Jesus, then it talks about how Jesus, before before the foundation of the world, knew us. And he looks to recreate us in his image. So everything that we do in the word is, again, calling us back to our Savior. Listen, this is what it says in uh, 1 John 5.12. Whoever has the Son has life. But whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. There's no, there's no in-between. There's no partial. It's either you do or you don't. So either you have Christ or you don't. You either have wisdom or you don't. There's no in-between. And so the reality is Jesus, as he's recreating us, he's doing what? He's rejoicing over us. 
That's what the passage says. He rejoices over the world. It's God's delight. When God looked at his creation, he said, it is good. But he doesn't stop with saying, hey, the world's good, but mankind, eh, not so much. He rejoices, and I want you to, especially if you struggle with, does God love me? I want you to hear without a shadow of a doubt, it is an everlasting love that he has for you. Everlasting. From the beginning, before he even created you, he loved you perfectly. And he knew what you were going to go through, and his desire was your salvation. He wanted you to come to him. He wants you to run to him. Because listen, he humbled himself. He came down from heaven. And again, you've heard me say this before, but it has to be repeated. The only thing that Jesus gets that he did not already have was sinners. He had enough honor. He had enough riches. He had enough glory. He had enough of relationships within the Trinity. He didn't need anything. Except that he came, he so rejoices over you that he freely gives his life for you. And he rejoices over you. And he says, Father, these are mine and I have paid for their sins upon the cross. And listen, I remember them no more. And Father, when you look at them, you see me and you see my righteousness that I gave to them. It's what we sang about. My one defense. My one defense is our righteousness. But where does that come from? It's Jesus' righteousness. That's where it comes from. So that's our only defense. When we stand before God and he says, why should I let you in? Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Jesus gives a crimson sin and gives me gloss of white and gold. What an incredible gift. And so he says there's a benefit, there's a benefit in ruling, there's a benefit financially, there's a benefit in us understanding of what the world is like and how it runs and we're being rejoiced over. And then he finishes it up with the last section of wisdom's necessity, verses 32 through 36. And so he says this, listen. Now again, we talked about this a few weeks ago. There's a difference between hearing someone and listening to them. We can hear people all the time. It's only we can listen when we what? When we obey, when we submit. That's when we know that we have listened. And it tells us in the scripture that we are to to submit how often? Daily, it says in verse 34. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting besides my door. We have to spend time with our Savior. Okay, and again, not to check off a box. And again, we always have to be careful because if you ever leave this this sanctuary thinking, I've got to do more, I've got to be better, then you haven't heard the gospel. There's a reality that again, we should yearn and long to be with our Savior. Not because we have to, because we want to. And so we want to be at the door. We want to be waiting for them daily. We want to spend time in the Word. Not because if you don't, then your pastor is some kind going to make you guilty. Or someone's going to upset you. Or someone's going to say something hurtful to you. Or you're not, don't measure up to super Christian status. None of that matters. What matters is, are you falling in love with Jesus? And if you're falling in love with Jesus, you're going to want to be with Him. 
And so we want to be with him daily because here's the reality. It does bring about life or death. That's the only two things that he says can be accomplished. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. And all who hate me love death. The only two options. We either have life and we have favor. Now again, does it, does it, is it the whoever wins with the most toys? Uh, no, wait. Whoever dies with the most toys wins. It's not that. It's whoever finds Christ finds life. True life. Real life. Life that's not tied to, to money or to a relationship or to a job or a career. It's connected to a Savior. But he who just goes out on his own, who looks at the gifts and wisdom and says, I don't want it, becomes a scoffer. The one who knows the truth and chooses not to obey hates life and chooses his own way. So, this cannot be found in a pill. It can't be found in an infomercial. Life can only be found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ.